0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 16 of our podcast SCAR with Dustin Rivenbark. Now SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption. And I want to give you the intent of the podcast, kind kind of the why are we here, so to speak. And it's to work out our trials and our hardships in such a way that we can begin to see God's glory and begin to unfold his plan for our lives. What what does this have to do with me, though, you may be asking? Like, like, why do I need to listen to Scar? And here's the truth, guys. We all have issues. We all have stuff, plain and simple, whether it's big or small. This could be work-related. This could be family-related. You could have had a bad week, and you walked outside, and you had a flat tire, and that slowed you down from getting to work the boss yells at you, things just go south. And, and we all have stuff, we all have those issues. It could be a friendship maybe uh, on the rocks. Whatever it is, this stuff has the ability to accumulate and sort of um, cloud our mind or, 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 or fog our brain in such a way that it can begin to change the trajectory of our lives by letting our scars affect who we become. And so with all of that being said, um, I have a, a great guest on the podcast today, and I am super excited to welcome Mr. Phil Waldrop. Would you please tell everybody hello? Well, thanks for
1: having me. It's great to be with you. And after that wonderful introduction of all of that, I'm really glad to be with you.
0: On this Marty Thursday, and, and we got the chance to, um, to, to sit down and have a little conversation uh, mm-hmm. right before this. And do you have any big Easter plans, Phil?
1: You know, uh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and with all of, the, all of the stay at home, well, it means that this year we're going to celebrate Easter at home. Fortunately, our grandkids will still get to come see us, and so we'll get to be able to have some time with them. But, you know, I, it, it occurred to me this morning in my, my private devotion, as we think about Easter, you know, this would be the first time in my lifetime, the first time really in American history, that people are not able to gather in church on Sunday. Now, think what all our country's been through, from World War II, World War One, the Civil War, um, I mean, all of the terrorism And this would be the first time we're never able to gather. And somebody said to me the other day, isn't it a shame that our churches will be empty? And I said, you know, I understand what you're saying, but the church may be empty, but the grave is also empty. And because the grave is empty, we can still celebrate Easter and the
0: church can still rejoice. Amen. Amen. And that's a that's a beautiful thing. And that's the way I'm trying to look at this whole uh, COVID-19. It's an opportunity, Phil. It really is. It's an opportunity for us to be with our family. So many of us are so busy, especially mm-hmm. in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. We can be so busy uh, feeding our sheep, shepherding our flock, what whatever you want to call it, we can be so busy out there that we almost lose touch uh, with our with our families, with our health, with mm-hmm. our physical and mental well-being. And so I honestly believe this is uh, God's doing a great work, even though I don't want to take I don't want to take the seriousness out of it. OK, there mm-hmm. are people that are dying right, right now. There are people that are going through COVID-19, and this is a major hardship for us. So I don't want to make light of it, but I also Mm -hmm. want to be willing to accept the blessings that are going to come from this. Mm -hmm. Well, God can use it for good. And, you know, uh, as
1: society tries to determine what's essential and what is not essential, I think as individuals, now we're being forced to stay at home. I think we're having to assess what is essential and what is not essential in our own lives. And that's a good thing. Uh, You know, I recently said what has happened to me these last few days, uh, because I'm used to a very rapid schedule, being out of town, speaking, and all of a sudden, it's just my wife and I at home, our kids are grown, have families of their own. But you know, my wife compared it the other night to, it's like cleaning out the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. You know, things just kind of accumulate. And finally one day you feel forced for whatever reasons you go through and you find stuff that has been there all of this time in the refrigerator. Maybe you were saving it, thought you needed it, and you didn't need it at all. And so you throw it away. And the end result is the refrigerator is a lot cleaner, it's a lot more organized, and has really the things you need in it. And in some ways, that's what I think is happening in my life, is it's giving me time to say, you know, that really wasn't important. Uh, That is more important than I thought it
0: was. And in that sense, you're right, it's been a blessing. So would you say that this has almost been a way to go towards minimalization, uh, so to speak, just really finding out what's important in our lives? Oh, I totally agree with that. I can't say that big of a word, but I would agree with that. <laughs> hey, well, hey, sometimes in this South Alabama brain, sometimes a word like that will hit, whether I know what it means or not. <laughs> right.
1: I know what you meant. It's just hard to say. That's right.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Phil, um, you have a new book out, and mm-hmm. I have it right here on display for everybody. It is called Beyond Betrayal. Now, mm-hmm. with the background of scar and seeking courage and redemption uh, and sort of what we do here, I thought it would be so great and so huge if we could sort of talk about this whole idea of betrayal not mm-hmm. just from a scars aspect but for humanity because we're coming up into uh, the night that jesus jesus was was betrayed mm-hmm. uh and, and gone before uh, the people and, and and put on the cross and rose again and just a beautiful beautiful weekend um that mm-hmm. we're that we're coming into can you explain a little bit behind your reasoning for writing beyond betrayal
1: well the reason is because for the last 20 plus years as i've met people and talked to people i am amazed at how many people have had a betrayal in their life and quite frankly first- they've never gotten over it. They think they have. They'll tell you they have. They'll even argue with you that they have. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it is still fresh and it is still a wound. You know, I love the title of your uh, your podcast, Being Scars. And I tell people at the very outset, you know, when you think about what a scar is, yeah. a scar to me is evidence of a wound, but it doesn't hurt anymore. That's the difference between a wound and a scar. Mm. You know, wounds hurt Scars don't. But yet they're still present. But anytime you see somebody with a scar, whether it's a cut on their arm or, or, or their face, and, and you can see the scar, it's healed, but there's still a testimony there. Well, for me, that's the way I saw it. Because 20 years ago, I went through a very deep betrayal. It was uh, a person that I would have sworn would have never uh, forsook me because you know I I grew up in North Alabama I went in the ministry when I was a teenager I was blessed to have a wonderful christian family a wonderful extended christian family meaning everybody in my mom's family my dad's family were all in church in fact we went to my mom's home church my aunts and my uncles and my cousins were all there and and so I grew up in a very trusting Uh, family and extension, my friends were that way. And so when my ministry as a young person began to take off and I had to involve people to go to work for us, one of the people I turned to was someone who had been a very close friend since my teenage years and invited him to come and be a part. And then to learn sometime later that he was doing things that were immoral and unethical, not illegal, Mm -hmm. but immoral and unethical, and and it left a lot of pain and a lot of scars. It quite frankly took me 20 years to get over it.
0: wow Phil you, you know that is that is huge that is that is heartbreaking that is hurtful and and I read in in kind of the the buildup for that and and you gave him a chance to mm-hmm. to make that right I don't want to spoil the book guys you've got <laughs> to get this book okay but you you gave him a chance for redemption. I love this idea. In fact, my book is is Courage and Redemption. I love I love that idea of just um um giving someone a second chance. We need to forgive. If we constantly mm-hmm. preach forgiveness, forgiveness, we mm-hmm. need to give that opportunity. And and suddenly the counseling, all of that stuff stopped and 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 all mm-hmm. of that kind of went back to life as normal. You approached him a second time. And, and it was, Phil, it was, it was almost a, yeah, now what kind of, kind of a, kind of a, what are you going to do, um, approach. And in that moment of the, of the, of the pain of the strife of the, in that exact moment of betrayal, you're feeling it kind of again, here it is again, Mm -hmm. like, bam, what goes through your mind in that moment? The same thing that goes through the mind
1: of anyone who's been through a betrayal, whether it's their spouse has been unfaithful or a business partner or or someone in the church life, is it really, it, it's it's kind of strange to say this, but it it really attacks your self-worth and your self-esteem kind of goes down because what you find yourself thinking is, was I not more important or as important to this person as some something else. Mm. And you really feel just devastated. And you find yourself thinking, how dumb could I be? I mean, you know, when I look back with my friends, there were a lot of telltale signs that I should have thought something about or I should have investigated, but I didn't. And then, of course, you have well-meaning Christian friends who come to you. <laughs> And they think they're encouraging you. And they say things like, well, I saw that coming. Or if you had asked me, I could have told you. Then you're flustered with your friends because why didn't you tell me? They think they're validating you, but they're really just kind of adding on the idea that you should go get stupid, you know, put across your forehead or something. Um, Because that's how you feel. So it attacks the very essence of who we are at the moment you realize you've been betrayed. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, why did somebody betray me? You know, why did they do it? Why was my husband unfaithful? Why was my wife unfaithful? And and all betrayals have one thing in common from Judas to present day. One thing has one thing in common is because they're selfish. They acted in mm. self-interest. They they they're acting in a sinful way. They put their own needs and desires ahead of yours. And that's the basis of a betrayal. And, and when it happens it hurts and at that moment it attacked at everything it caused me to question everything about my life about my judgment everything um, including my
0: self-worth so you made a comment in in um, in the book you said this and I thought this was just so deep I thought this was my I, I really i had to write this down and think about it because I've certainly been betrayed. I've had scars. I've dealt with infidelity. I've dealt with all sort of uh, uh, different, different things in my life. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I lost my mother to a drug addiction. So, so growing up um, I had a tough upbringing and I saw things and I experienced things that stayed with me. But you said betrayal is one thing. The decisions we make in its wake are quite another. Can you expound on that a little bit? Absolutely. Because you see, we've been betrayed.
1: And as a result, something happens to us if we don't process it well. We put a filter in front of us so that when we look at people, we're looking at them through a filter. And that filter is the experience of the betrayal. So where we may have gone from trusting people, now we don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. And we go from, from healthy relationships to unhealthy relationships, and suddenly we become skeptical of people that that um, you know haven't betrayed us, and and people don't want to be around us. Quite frankly, I mean, because the essence of a healthy relationship is love and trust. Now, maybe we can talk in a little bit about what trust means and how that looks, but that's the essence of it. So, when you've been betrayed, the betrayal is one thing, but how you allow it to affect you. And the decisions that you make going forth are very profound. Because again, now that you've had that experience, you you look this way. And, and the way I would compare it to where something anybody can understand is it's a little bit like, um, like a person who has been uh, severely injured. Maybe, for example, my dad was a welder. And I can remember there were lots of times in his work when he would have to be up on a platform or something high welding. And I remember when he was young, uh, he lost his balance and he failed. Well, my dad would, would always say to young welders when they're welding high, don't take for it granted that you won't get disoriented. Because, you know, you've got on the shield and he would explain all that goes with welding. And he would always say, make sure you're safe before you ever start welding. Now, why was my dad so intimate about preaching that to young welders? Because he had fallen. He had had an experience that turned into something positive, but yet there are other times when we have experiences in life that are negative, they can turn into something negative. So you don't allow experiences that we have had to cause us to
0: make unhealthy decisions in the future. Okay. So, so in the moment, um, are there any tools? Is there anything that we can use in the fire, in the thick of the moment? Mm-hmm. Can you think of, of of what's what's some way that we can avoid? Because you you made you made um, a, a rational decision in in uh, I think it's chapter two or chapter three. Mm-hmm. You said um, you said I stopped just short of telling him I don't want to do something I'm going to regret. And right. you just, and and, and so, so what is that thing that stops you, Phil, that says, okay, I don't need to add any more insult to injury here. Mm-hmm. Let's just go. Well, in my case, fortunately, I had some good
1: counsel. That was not something I wanted to do on my own. I'm being honest here. But someone had said, don't keep trying to saw the sawdust. You know, you know, this relationship as it is has to end end it and move on. Don't keep trying to saw the sawdust because I think when someone has betrayed us, we want them to come and, you know, sack costs and ashes and be repentant and explain everything. And that may or it may not happen. But even if it happens, it's still not going to return immediately to the same level of trust and relationship that it was. And for me, what I had to do at that moment was to realize you know what, I got to make some good choices. Because, you know, the one thing you have to realize when a person is betrayed, there are three or four things that are going to happen. First of all, there's always a the denial. It's, it's a little bit, the closest I can compare it to is when you are found out that a family member or a close friend has been killed suddenly. Mm. You know, you, you find yourself saying, tell me this is a bad dream, this is not true. We go into this denial mode. It's really a self-protection. And the nature of betrayal always implies there's a point of truth and reality when you find out they are having an affair. They did steal from me. They did lie about it. They, they did something where they took my trust and they shattered it. Mm-hmm. There's a moment the light bulb comes on. And so then you kind of deny it. But then you get angry. And when people say, oh, I was betrayed and I wasn't angry. Well, they're either still angry or they're lying or they haven't been betrayed. Because when you've really been betrayed, it's just something wells up inside of you that, that just it makes you angry. Yeah. And anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Remember Paul said in Ephesians, you can be angry and sin not. It's not that we are upset about it. It's how we allow that anger to control us. And then I think we go through a stage. Once we get through the anger, I think we go through a stage where we, you know, we we assign blame. We blame other people. We will blame ourselves. And until finally we reach a point where we can honestly forgive. Because part of that anger stage is you want to bl- not only blame people, you want to get even.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: want the person who betrayed you to hurt at an equal or greater level than Justice. you hurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In our mind, it's justice. Right. But you know, I I, I tell you a quick story because I ask people this a lot. You know, have you ever met anybody who got even? I mean, can can honestly say they got even? And most people will say I can't. And I say, well, Deb and I have a good friend uh, who did. Uh, my wife is Debbie, and our good friend's name is Debbie Morris. And Debbie Morris, several years ago, when she was 16 years of age, was kidnapped. Brutally raped over several days. Mm. And she learned during her captivity that the person who kidnapped her was a guy named Robert Lee Willie. Robert Lee Willie was one of the most notorious serial rapists and murderer that America has ever had. In fact, if you remember the movie Dead Man Walking, yeah. that is the story of Robert Lee Willie. Okay. She was kidnapped. She is the only person Robert Lee Willie and his accomplice ever kidnapped that they did not kill. And so as a 16-year-old girl, he let her go, which is just to this day, nobody can understand why he did that, but he did. And the end result was in her going through all the emotions and the anger of everything that happened, um, she wanted him to suffer. He had told her about the people he killed, and when he was captured, she was the key witness. She wanted him to go to the electric chair because she knew if he could just – experience capital punishment, she would be happy. And Robert Lee Willie was executed. And she said, you know, the next day I was as miserable as I was. In her mind, I got complete revenge and I got complete justice, but
0: I still wasn't satisfied because I don't know if you ever will. You know, it just, it leaves a gaping hole. Uh, I'll take something uh, that just happened to me and my wife last night, this is not uh as serious at all but but mm-hmm. but this type of stuff, okay my my daughter is eleven, she's just coming into mm-hmm. her own personality. she loves playing this particular game online. she loves to do it. Well, this game was going to have a big reveal at um uh, at three o'clock in the morning or something like that. <laughs> a big reveal of a new character on this game, and they were so pumped up about it. Well, my daughter being eleven years old. She snuck into our room and grabbed our phones off of uh, off of the phone charger and went back up into her room and played roadblocks from uh, from midnight until three thirty this morning until my wife noticed that the phones were gone and went upstairs and she was up well we had a huge talk this morning. We took it all away. Hey, no, there's got to be, there's got to be a form of sternness. There's got to be a form of punishment. But before things went crazy before the anger, there's that anger in me. Okay. You lied, Mm -hmm. you stole to them. No, Mm -hmm. I can, I can justify this, but, but you did, but you said, but you do all of these Mm -hmm. different things Phil. just like you saw in the book. his. His first thing was no, you're you, you, you." Mm -hmm. that's the first response. And so in that moment, I wanted her to know this wasn't right. And, but I wanted Mm -hmm. her to know, I love you as well. We, my wife and I both gave her a hug. She was upset before she, she walked Mm -hmm. off so that hopefully after our explanation of how bad this could could have been, um, this won't happen again.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that, that, I have to tell you that that I struggled was I wanted to forgive. But one of the things that that caused me to struggle, even as someone in ministry, was I didn't understand what forgiveness was. Yeah. You see, I thought forgiveness meant that I had to act like nothing happened you know, in taking what happened last night, if you had forgiven your daughter, many people would have said, you would have said, oh, that's okay. There's no consequences. Well, remember, forgiveness always costs something. It's very important for us to remember during the Easter season that we think grace is free. But in fact, grace costs Jesus his life. Grace isn't free. It isn't cheap and it isn't free. Anytime there is a sin for it to be forgiven, somebody has to pay the price. Now, I share that because what I had to understand was not that I had to be vindictive towards my friend. I still had to allow the consequences to follow forgiving someone, for example, who's committed a crime against you doesn't mean you go drop the charges. I wrote a whole book on on reaching prodigals where I talk about one of the characteristics of many prodigals, especially with addictive behavior, is that people don't hold them accountable for their actions. They don't let them face the consequences of what they've done. I had to come to understand forgiveness means that I give up my rights to revenge. I give up my rights to get even. And here's why I had a struggle with that, because I confused two words. I thought forgiveness and trust were the same thing, and they're not. Forgiveness is something that we choose to give. I choose to forgive you. I choose not to get even. Trust is something you have to earn. I can't just give you trust. It's impossible for me to give you that trust. The trust I give you has to be earned, either based on, past experiences people that I do trust have had with you, or based on the experiences that I've had with you. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a little secret, and people will often, when I say this, I go grab their Bible and start looking. Do you know in Scripture, we're told to love people, be kind to people, and we are told to trust God, but not one place in the Bible, from Genesis to the Revelation, not one place are you told to trust people. Mm -hmm. not one. And the reason is trust is earned. And one of the things that I say to people who may be listening, who are the betrayer, and they need to hear what I'm about to say. If you're the person who's betrayed your spouse, or you betrayed someone, many times people will say, well, you just need to forgive me and let's go on like nothing happened. No, it's not going to happen. You have to be accountable be an open book, and allow that person to regain trust with you once again. And the way they do that is by you being accountable and you living up to trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. Forgiveness just means I give up my rights to revenge. But if I'm going to trust you again, you're going to have to earn that trust. And that may take years. So it's important for people to understand the difference between those two when they forgive does not mean you have to immediately restore the relationship to the level it was.
0: That's totally different. I agree a hundred percent, 110% Phil. Um, you know, one of the, uh, it could take a lifetime to overcome mm-hmm. a lifetime of abuse. I mean, mm-hmm. it could take, it could take counseling. Uh, it's going to take much scripture. It's going to take trust right. and belief in God that he is who he says he is and that we are his masterpiece, that we are, created by his perfect hands, Mm -hmm. and we are who he says we are. But oftentimes, when we've been used as a verbal punching bag, or we've Mm -hmm. been used in all of these different situations, uh, just like the the person you met, uh, who who was uh, her life was spared, but still, she was brutally raped. Mm -hmm. And all of this stuff, this the psychological toll can be huge. And and just, Later on, you said something um, you you talked about some of the ways that we can sort of overcome this betrayal, Mm -hmm. not really get over it. You don't, you don't just get Mm -hmm. over it, but you used some of the tools that we could combat this whole idea of it. And man, you talked about isolation. Mm -hmm. This hit me in my gut with Mm COVID-19. Let me, so, I interviewed a guy by the name of Eric Christensen a little while back. He's a filmmaker, and and all and anyway, he does a lot of stuff on Vietnam War veterans mm-hmm. coming out of uh, uh, PTSD. He does stuff on mm-hmm. uh, 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 all drug addiction, all of this different stuff. And so, this whole idea of isolation uh, gives us gives people who have been hurt a blueprint, a mm-hmm. prescription for depression, for mm-hmm. hurt, for anxiety. Can you speak on that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Because you know what happens when you go through
1: a betrayal is you, you make a decision whether you want to admit it or not. But most of the time we make an initial decision to say, I will never be betrayed again and I'll never be hurt again. So we decide that we're going to build a wall around our heart. We're going to build a wall high enough that nobody gets close enough to us to hurt us. Now, what you learn later is when you build a wall to keep people out from hurting you, you build a wall to keep people out from loving you. And so you start living inside that wall. Now, granted, that wall may keep you from being hurt, but at the same time, you're going to be hurt in a different way because God made us for relationships. If you don't believe that, then think of it this way. If God didn't want us to have relationships. And if that wasn't part of, the, of his creation of us, then he would have created millions of little islands out in the sea, given every one of us our own private island and allowed us to live by ourselves. But he didn't do that. He, there's, there's no place on earth that I know of where there's an island where somebody lives solely by themselves. If they've tried it, they, they don't stay there long because we're made to interact with people. That's the way God designed us. And isolation just causes us to become very emotionally unhealthy. And I can tell you because I wanted to isolate. I didn't want to be around people. Because you got to remember, when you're initially uh, betrayed, you don't know who you can trust anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can't trust him, I may not be able to trust you. I may not be able to trust my pastor. I can't trust my spouse. I can't trust, you know, my sister, my brother. So all of a sudden, remember, the filter's back up, and we think living in isolation will be happy, and it's not. As a matter of fact, I've told people on a very physical level, one of the things that I think this whole virus has done as, as we've had to stay home and we can't gather with people is how many people have said to me, man, the minute I can go places, I'm not going to be home for three days. Right. Well, you know what those people are saying? They've discovered the value of relationships. That's good. And, and so when people, when people have been through a betrayal, they want to, and there may be a time of healing that you do have to draw back from people. I'm not saying, you know, don't, because I think some people in the midst of their pain, they do go the opposite direction and they start making very poor decisions as it relates to relationships. I, I knew a lady whose husband had an affair and to make him feel the pain, she intentionally went out and tried to have an affair. Right. And that was a very unhealthy relationship. And very unhealthy decisions. So at the same time, we don't want to isolate. Don't make, you know, you may do that for a season, but have a plan where you get outside those walls.
0: Can you give us um, any pointers on on not um Not isolating, like different, Mm -hmm. maybe a couple different ways that we can interact with with some other people, life giving people, not people who Mm -hmm. just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. What are some of those ways that we might could get out and and or or uh, uh, reach people during this time?
1: Well, there's a couple of things I always caution people about. And one of them is we tend to obsess about what happened to us. So every time we're with people, you know, they can say, well, it's a beautiful day today. And we will respond by, yeah, it was a beautiful day. You know, my spouse was, I found out my spouse was unfaithful. And they may say, well, you know... (laughs) If if sports were playing, well, the Atlanta Braves won last night. Yeah, that's kind of like they won that game when I found out my wife. And no matter what people say, we begin to obsess about it. And so we start spewing all of this anger. And people that really can help us will tend to avoid us. So I always advise people, you know, if you're with friends, either give them permission to stop you and say, let's talk about something else or just say, we're going to talk about what happened to me for 15 minutes and that's it set some ground rules to do that. But here's an exercise I have in my book that I think is very unhealthy and very important for people to do. Take out a piece of paper. On on the left side, write the name of the person or persons who betrayed you. Put their name right there. Then on the right side of the paper, think of every person that you have had a long time personal relationship with who have not disappointed you or betrayed you. Maybe you're, it may be a, a sibling. It could be a parent. It could be your spouse. It could be a child. It could be your pastor. It could be your best friend. And start writing names of people who haven't betrayed you. Then you look at the list. Now, there's a couple of reasons you do that. Number one, because we tend to think we will stay focused on this side of the piece of paper when we need to be reminded there are people who, who have it. Remember, you know, in the Old Testament, Elijah said, Lord, I'm the only prophet. And the Lord said, no, you're not. I still got a whole bunch of guys out there that are faithful to me that are proclaiming the word. And sometimes we feel like we're the only one, or we start thinking, I don't have any really true friends. So you think about these people. But then you start reaching out to people that that have proven to you that they're healthy in their relationships. You don't need to reach out with somebody who's going through a betrayal, because if you do, when you talk to them, you're just both pouring gasoline on each other's fires yep. Yep. and it gets worse. Find that senior saint. You know, one of the things that helped me was there was a much older adult at that time in my life that I had so much respect for. And and just did not get emotionally engaged, was very level headed. And I went and I sat down and I said, will you help me walk through this? And they did something that really helped me. First of all, they listened. And number two, they spoke truth into my life. There were times that they, you know, instead of me sitting there and them just bashing the person who betrayed me, they actually sat there and said, wait, Phil, you realize that what you're doing, you realize how you're hurting. And they spoke truth into my life. And I received that. And so that was what I would tell people, how to keep from being isolated. Think of people who have been faithful to you, who, have been, who haven't betrayed you. Think of people who you can tell are healthy in their life and in their relationships and reach out to those people and ask those people if, if they would be willing to give you some of their time and, and speak truth into your life.
0: You know, that's beautiful. And, and one of the things that I related to is how Moses sent out 12 spies um, mm-hmm. to, to, to scout the land and only two came back with a message of hope, one being Joshua. Well, mm-hmm. later you see Joshua take these reins and you see Joshua, he sends out two spies. Okay. Mm-hmm. and And so I think maybe Joshua learned a valuable lesson through that. That it's not necessarily the quantity of people speaking into your life, but the quality of people I agree with that. Speaking into your life, and so um, that is that is a huge thing. And I, I also um, I could go on and on here, and I want to be respectful of mm-hmm. you. Can you um, can you tell us um, what the betrayal of Jesus? Uh, by the time mm-hmm. our listeners are hearing this, it will be it will be Good Friday. It will be tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us what the betrayal of Jesus and how um, he responded and the outcome of all of that, what that tells us about betrayal and how we should respond?
1: Oh, sure. Because when you say the word betrayal, people immediately think of Judas. And, you know, we've heard so many Easter sermons. And when I sat down to write, I really went back and studied in detail the betrayal of Jesus. And let me just make a couple of points maybe you may not hear during the Easter season. The first one is, we initially see Judas and think, how could he do that? Why did he do that? Well, maybe I can give you a little insight as to why Judas betrayed Jesus. And I'm not justifying it. Please don't think that when you hear me say this. But Judas had been following Jesus, and he was like many other people who believed Jesus was going to create an earthly army and overthrow the Roman Empire and set up an earthly kingdom. And I think he kept waiting. Okay, Lord, you know, is this now the time you're going to set up your kingdom? All of the disciples kept asking Jesus that because that's what they had heard all their life. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And I think when Judas was there that day and Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and he saw all the people dropping the palm branches and screaming, Hosea, he thought, man, this is the time. This is it. I and he wanted to put Jesus in a situation where Jesus, you know, to use a good Alabama thing, he either had to put up or shut up. Wow. Either you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna overthrow Rome or you're not. And he thought the best way he could do that during the Passover was if he went to the religious leaders and and kind of, you know, got in with them to try to force the issue because he knew the Romans did not allow any kind of uprising among the Jews. They would suppress it in a heartbeat. This was the perfect time to have that conflict between the Jews and the Romans. And so, but the the, the Jewish leaders had a problem. The problem was, remember, Jesus was not despised by all the Jews. He was, he was liked by a lot of the Jews, especially those that were from the northern uh, areas who had seen him around Capernaum. It was the Jerusalem Jews and the, the religious leaders that really disliked Jesus. And so it, it, they, they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't do it in the daytime. But the problem was, where's Jesus hanging out at night? And so that's why Judas went and said, look, here's what I'll do, guys you you know, I'll help you guys. I'll lead you to Jesus at night. I'll take you to where he is. You can arrest him at night, which was actually illegal. And you can you can get him away where there won't be an uprising with the people. And so when he did that, and they said, okay, we'll do that. Remember, it was so dark when he took them to where Jesus was, that they were not even sure they had arrest the right one. So Judas says, look, I know him. I'll kiss him. You'll know that when you arrest them, you're not hauling off Andrew thinking it's Jesus. You'll know it's Jesus. And at that moment, at that moment, I think Judas thought, this is it. They're going to fight. And let me tell you, I think the other disciples thought the same thing. Because you remember what Peter did? Peter (laughs) pulled out his sword. That's right. And he's ready to fight. And Jesus said, no, put your sword up. Put the guy's ear back on and that's why i think judas and, and and please hear me carefully jesus made it very clear he knew judas was a betrayer from the beginning that's in the gospel of john all those years that judas watched miracles his heart really wasn't in it he wasn't wanting to follow jesus but now let's put that story in the timeline especially from the gospel of john judas went to the religious leaders he agrees for 30 pieces of silver to take him to where jesus is and to betray him but then he rejoins The disciples, and you remember what John said before they ate the last supper. Jesus took a towel, and washed all of their feet. Now I got to be totally honest with you. Okay, you don't normally hear this from a preacher. We'll be totally honest. When I got to the feet of Judas, knowing what he had done and Jesus did, I probably would have used that towel, but it wouldn't have been on his feet. Yeah, probably would (laughs) have choked him. Yeah, I mean that would have been my reaction. Yeah, but Jesus didn't do that. He he washed his feet, even knowing what Judas was going to do. Now, here's what I learned from that. Number one, Judas was fully, I mean, Jesus was fully aware that God had a bigger plan, even though at that moment, no one else saw it. God had something bigger than the betrayal that he was experiencing. I have to tell you, if I hadn't gone through that betrayal, I don't know if my ministry would be where it is today. I can't say that definitively, but I really believe that. There were things that, that I discovered through that, accountability and setting standards and adhering to standards and setting expectations for your employees. I probably wouldn't have done if I had not gone through that. But you see, God, you realize God's got something bigger through this. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament was betrayed by his brothers. Then he was betrayed by, you know, he was betrayed by his boss's wife. Then he's in prison. And a guy says, look, when I get out of here, I'm going to remember you to Pharaoh. You remember? And then the first thing the guy does is forget. He's betrayed. He's betrayed. He's betrayed. But Joseph is one of the few people in the Old Testament you don't read anything negative about because Joseph knew in his heart, even though I'm going through betrayal, God's got this. And there's a bigger plan in store. And Jesus knew there was a resurrection Sunday, even when his own disciples couldn't see it. And then the other thing I think you learn from Jesus is that in the midst of your own betrayal, don't stop serving and loving people. Because Jesus could have been, you know, man, this guy was, you know, he saw me raise the dead. I healed the sick. I've taken care of this guy for three years, three and a half years. And this is how he treats me. But Jesus didn't do that. He kept loving. He kept serving people. And now, granted, I have to tell you, as somebody who's been betrayed, that's not easy to do. It wasn't easy for me to do. And there's times when I say, okay, he's Jesus. He can do that. But yet he sets a standard for us. Don't allow our betrayal to define who we are and to destroy who we are.
0: Mm. That's
1: what you can't allow it to do. And when I think of what Judas did, by no means, people hear what I share that. They say, well, it sounds like you're justified. No, what he did was evil. It was satanic. It was motivated selfishness because he thought, man, if he overthrows him, I'm going to be a high guy in the kingdom. It was a selfish act, but it was not only a selfish act, but it was a sinful act. Definitely it was. But yet, through that experience, Jesus knew God's got something greater. Even though it was painful and hurtful, and he cried till his sweat became as blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, God had a bigger plan. So, my message to people who have been betrayed today is you may be hurting right now, but let me tell you, God's got a bigger plan on the other side. And it may feel like a crucifixion today. But I got to tell you, resurrection
0: is on the way. Man, you got me pumped up, Phil. Let's go <laughs> preach. Let's go preach to somebody. <laughs> that's right. Hey, I, I love that though. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what this whole idea of uh, of scar is all about. Mm-hmm. It's being able to use those hurts, those pains. It's being able to use those scars to be Mm -hmm. able to turn them into testimonies and lay the roadmap for people to turn tragedy into triumph. And I believe that your book beyond betrayal does just that. And I'm super Mm -hmm. excited um, about this podcast. I knew, uh, I told you, um, I I knew I had to get you, uh, on here (laughs) when I walked into the bookstore that day and I just, uh, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, I usually kind of play a, a, a almost a little, it's, it's kind of like a little game with, with my guests that I'll yeah. to close it out. Uh, I give you a verse or a mm-hmm. saying or something, and you just tell me the first feeling or the first idea that kind of <laughs> pops up in your mind. All and right, let's I, do it. I want to give you this one. He is risen.
1: The first thing that fogs into my mind is God wins. Yes.
0: That is God good. wins.
1: That that if He is risen, you realize everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, everything in the past, everything in the future hinges on what happened one Sunday morning. What happened one Sunday morning determined the validity of everything the prophets had said, everything Jesus said, and everything the church would say. All is summarized in those three words: He is risen.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, guys. Well, you have heard it right here from from Phil Waldrop. We have gone over this whole idea of, of betrayal, um, kind of how we can sort of uh, start to begin to overcome it again. We didn't want to get too deep. We don't want to <laughs> give away all the goods. I need you to go out and get this book Beyond Betrayal, guys. It is a game changer. Uh, it is it is just a necessity in your bookshelf. Mm-hmm. You just you just need this book to be able to refer back. Okay, how should I respond in this moment? It's like some mm-hmm. people don't have those wise mentors. Some people are born into situations where they mm-hmm. just don't have that experience Yoda to go to and talk with, mm-hmm. and they just don't have it. And so I think this is a good um, a good mentorship because Phil, you don't know it, but you are mentoring. Uh, people around the globe, myself included, you you mentor me uh, all the time, just in in our in our followings, and I think it's just a beautiful thing of what you're doing now. If people want to learn more about Phil Waldrop, Phil Waldrop Ministries um, conferences, or any of that kind of stuff coming up, or Beyond Betrayal, where do we go?
1: You know, there's an easy place to go right now. It's called Beyond Betrayal Beyond Betrayal dot com. And that'll tell you more about the book. And also show you how to spell my name. Because a lot of people misspell the last name Waldrop because we spell it with an E. It's W L D R E P. But not. if you do my name, org, then you'll find all about our ministry and all the conferences and everything else. But the easiest way to remember right now, people don't have a pen, is Beyond Betrayal Book.com.
0: Beautiful. Okay. Well, once again, we thank you so much. And uh, Mr. Phil, if you will hold on just one minute for our listeners, we have enjoyed having you today and we will see you in the next couple of days.